Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, City Church. Bible reading for today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 to 12. When I'm done, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying thanks be to God. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt, we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is the word of the Lord. Um, and so I got to first I think it's the fourth sermon in this passage. And um, this, this sermon, I think, matters a great deal. And we'll see you soon. But it matters a great deal to me. And I spent a lot of time praying about it. Um, just praying about this message, but also just what we believe God can do with it. And so, um, just in that spirit of the song for the word. Can we just take a moment now to ask for the spirit of the living God? Ask for the spirit of the living God. We need your presence. We need the might that only you can bring. We need an anointing in this place. We need to see the enthroned Jesus. We need to feel his power in this place. If you don't mind, just put your hands on your heart, put your hands on your head. Lord Jesus, we're asking for something special. Some people, someone has come in here to hear your word. Let them not leave, O oh God, not hearing anything. Some people have come here, O oh God, to be transformed. Let them not leave the way they came. And so we ask that the meditation of our hearts and that the transformation of our minds will come, O oh God, as a result of the words of my mouth that shall glorify you. Come now, Holy Spirit. Come now, Holy Spirit. Move so mightily in this place. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Barbara quoted a former pastor in 
Minneapolis in the U.S. His name is John Piper. And let me quote something he said a couple of years ago that I feel we would all agree with. And it helped set me up for something else that I do want to say. John Piper said this. He said books, and he said it's about reading. He said books don't change people. Books don't change people. He said paragraphs do. And sometimes sentences. You know, we read books. Most of the things, most of us don't even finish the books that we read. Amen. But there's a particular paragraph. You highlighted it. After you highlighted it, you put it on your Facebook, put it on Instagram with some kind of weird picture of you on it. But you keep coming back to it over and over again. Can I reapply that and say that sermons don't change people? Quotable sentences do. So I want to tell you a bit of a story about a sentence that changed my life. It was late 2007, either December 2007 or um, January 2008. My friend and I, Bolaji, were heading to the great um, Manchester Cathedral. And we're going there because we heard that someone was coming to preach. He was coming to preach on a very important topic, the topic of revival. Now, for, for both of us, that was already a big thing. But the fact that it was this preacher that was coming to preach made us also say we wanted to go. It was going to be a three-day uh, event. The preacher was a great Nigerian preacher that neither of us had listened to or heard live before. And so we decided, oh, for this man, we want to go and listen. You know what his name was? They said his name was Gabile Akani, otherwise known as Bile Akani. We intended to go for just that one day. But at the end of that one day, we decided that we were canceling everything we had, that we were going to now go for the three days. And I'll tell you why. Because on the first day, he said something that absolutely blew my mind has not left me today and eventually shaped the course of my life much more than I thought, even at that time. He said this about revival. He said, whenever we pray, here's the quote, whenever we pray to God for revival, what we are really praying for is for God to send leaders. Whenever we pray for revival, what we are actually praying for is for God to send men and women leaders. You know, he's absolutely right. Because when you think about the Bible, what do you see? At one point, the children of Israel, it says, that the cry of them went up to the Lord when they were in slavery in Egypt. And immediately we are told about the birth of Moses. When they cried out to God to deliver them, he sent them a leader. When Moses was not going to enter into the promised land with them and they mourned for him for 30 days, when they were thinking, who is going to take us in and who is going to help us divide the land, God sent them Joshua. And we pray for God to move. What we're asking God for is to send leaders. Have you read the book of Judges? In fact, one of the refrains of the book of Judges is that the people fall into sin and when they fall into sin, they fall into captivity, they cry out to God and it says that God sends them what? 
a deliverer. God sends leaders when we are asking him to do things. In fact, I could go on and on in the Bible because really the Bible from one standpoint is a collection of stories of leaders, bad and good leaders, that ultimately points us to the one story of the ultimate leader that God was going to use to save the world. Are you following me? Whenever we call upon the name of the Lord to do something big, we are actually asking him to send us leaders. And so, my friend Bolaji and I, at this point, Francis also joined. We started to pray for revival in Nigeria, but as we are praying for revival, we are also praying for leaders. And then one day as we were praying, honestly, I can't say it was an audible voice or anything. As I was praying for that, God, I felt God tell me, hey, you are one of the answers to the prayer talking about. Go. Fast forward, we came back, myself and my wife, and we started, uh, you know, trying to put the groundwork to the church. As we got into 2016, as we were gathering a group together, and as we got into 2017, when we just newly started the church, I was still going around trying to get support. Most times, people will call me, and they'll say, how can we be praying for you? No hesitation. The number one thing I always said, if I had one thing to say, I would say, pray that God will send us leaders. And can I say that the testimony of City Church is this, that God has honored that answer to that, God has honored that prayer because of some of you that are sitting down here. God has been faithful and sent us leaders. And I pray that God will yet answer and honor that prayer by turning some of you into those kinds of leaders. A church that's passionate about the renewal of the city of Lagos and even beyond. But let me tell you something. As we pray, as we seek for that, what we are actually asking God for is to give us leaders through, with, uh, through whom he can produce the result of what he's asking for. Are you following what I'm saying? At some point, Jesus told Jerusalem, uh, the, the, the Jew, he told the parable about how, um, um, the parable about the fig tree and eventually the fig tree that did not blossom and did not give fruit and got cast away. And he told the people, he said, here's the interpretation. The kingdom has been taken away from you and shall be given to a people that shall be able to produce the fruit thereof. And that people was talking about as the church. And in the, the church is meant to play a leadership role, but inside the church is that God is going to be producing leaders that will bring about his work. Are you going to be one of those? Because the question then becomes, what kind of leader are we talking about? You see, Oftentimes, we like to make certain kinds of distinctions. Let's take between leadership in business and leadership in ministry. Many times, we, think, we say something like this, that, you see, leadership in business is essentially about producing results. Results, abstract results, right? Bottom line, P&L, profit and loss, ensuring that you are always growing. What's your first quarter uh, growth figures? What's your second quarter growth figures? But when it comes to ministry, it's about the transformation of people. The transformation of people. So much so that when we think about stuff like numerical growth and, let's say, financial competence, they are seen as optional add-ons in ministry, but they're not that important. And when we think about business, when we think about things like community, they are seen as, you know, luxuries of the kind of companies that have balance sheets that they will never 
you know, grows, they will never go out of business in the next 20 years, you know. Someone working in Shell, can I get a witness? In fact, if I can put it in a more crass way, when we think about human resources in ministry and business, the emphasis is on human in ministry and on resources in business. But as we read, this passage that Paul showed, that was read for us, the controlling verse is not from verses 6 to 12. The controlling verse from here to actual verse 13 is verse 1. Because Paul, who is in ministry, says this, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you, when I came into this place called Thessalonica, you know that our visit to you was what? Not without results. Paul is saying that those who are in the business of quote-unquote people also have to produce results. Now, we know the results that he was talking about, and we'll look at that next week, which is that they accepted the word of God, verses 13 to 16. But what Paul is still saying here is that we have to produce results. Leaders produce results. The kind of leaders that God is going to use are those that produce results. And what he's going to show us in this passage is that next week we'll talk about what Paul said that made those results come true. But in this passage, he's showing us how Paul led that made those uh, results come true. And I'm praying. I'm seriously praying. I don't know why. No, I pray for all the sermons. But this one particularly has hit me hard. I am praying that someone who has come in here today, maybe you are burdened because in all the spheres of your leadership, you are not seeing results. Can I tell you, you have come to the right place at the right time. Because I'm praying that you will hear a sentence or a paragraph that would bring an absolute change in your leadership sphere. I'm praying that somehow God will unlock the source of the frustration that has not brought about results in your life, whether it is personal, whether it is your marriage, whether it is your parenting, whether it is your workplace, whether it is your ministry, that the Holy Spirit will move today and bring you into that place. And we're not just going to talk about it, we're also going to pray about it firmly towards the end. And so that's why we're going to look at this, past, this um, sermon called leadership. It's very, very simple. Leadership that produces results. And here the headings will look um, at it under. How the leader lives, what the leader does, and who the leader represents. How the leader lives, what the leader does, and who the leader represents. Now, some people actually, first point now, we're in first point. Some people actually don't want to be leaders. And the reason why they want to be leaders, I remember working in a British civil service for some time. And I remember I sat with someone who was shadowing me into the job that um, I was going to take on. And I asked her what her ambition was. And she said, her ambition is to remain in this job and not move. I said, no, how about doing things that will take you to the next level? She said, why? She just doesn't want it. It brings a lot of wahala. She doesn't need the responsibility that she's fine the way she is. I could not understand it. But later in life, I started to realize, actually, there is some sense in it. The more you go into leadership roles, the more you have responsibility. Not everybody wants the responsibility. But sometimes, some of us do want leadership for a particular reason. 
even though we may not want to step into it. And let me tell you, it's very simple. When you are a leader, and you even do fairly well, you can get praises from people. Praises, you know, it's isolated. Something has happened in your ministry, something has happened in your business, there are like 50 other people there, but it is you they come and congratulate. And the truth is, there is nothing bad by being praised by people. How many of us don't like being praised by people? I see people. You don't like being praised. You don't like it. You, you, no, no, you can come, come, come forward. The deliverance will not, it will be quick. I can tell you that. The Lord will do a quick and short work. We all like to be praised. We all like to be praised. There's nothing bad about being praised. But you see, in Paul's day, there were a group of people, also speakers, not necessarily Christian speakers, but philosophers, rhetoricians. They went a step further. It's not about accepting the praise or liking the praise of people. They went a step further. You know what they were doing, verse 6? They were looking for praise from people. Their whole leadership and the things that they said was designed in such a way that the ultimate thing they were looking for was what? The praise for people. And I'm sure we've known leaders like that. Maybe you are one of those. Very quickly, when something has happened and they want to praise somebody, you quickly take the praise even though you don't fully deserve it. But when Katakata has bust, you quickly pass the buck even though you are the one that deserved it. If somebody needs to be delivered from such, raise up your hand today. But you know somebody that you, you know somebody that you want to, ah, God, I wish this person was here. But let me tell you, listen, at some point, some of us are employed because of the technical skills that we have. Maybe you are, you are coming first in, in, in school, in primary school, secondary school, you are local champion, you got a 2-1 in university, you'd always been, and you entered into the, the workplace, and for three years you showed your technical ability, but at some point, you find that you have plateaued. Why? Because the more you rise in leadership, the more you rise in an organization, now you have to start dealing with what? People. And if your people skills, your people leadership skills is not good, you'll find that your results start to what? They start to wane. And it's because you may be the kind of person that has employed what these kinds of guys were talking about. They did their leadership, they did their work strictly because they were looking for the praise of people. They were, they were actually trying to produce results simply so that they can get the praise of people. Maybe you are a kind of parent here, that your parenting, right from time, when you could control your children, your parenting has always been around getting the praise from other people about how good a parent you are. You've always had this ambition of how you are going to speak in parenting seminars. <laughs> Let me tell you, you may achieve some results with your children. At some point, you will not be able to control those children and they will see you for the hypocrite that you are the results will start to win. Maybe you are leading your team and all you are thinking about is your promotion, your award. At some point, that leadership, the results that come from that kind of leadership will start to win. Why? Because it's a dehumanizing form of leadership. It's a dehumanizing form of leadership because what you really love is the praise, not the people that you are leading. So you end up humanizing the praise while you dehumanize the people that you lead. And so the results that you are looking for do not come. But what does Paul say about his own leadership in verse 8? This one is very funny. He says, because we loved you so much. 
are. You see, Paul's form of leadership was humanizing because his love was not directed first and foremost to the praise he could get for the leading of the people. His love was directed towards who? The people he led. He said he loved them so much. To which somebody, a very brilliant person, is asking me, so, Pastor Femi, are you saying I should love the people I work with and the people that are under me? That's why I say you're a brilliant person. <laughs> then the next question would be, how can I love those who I can fire? There's a problem. You see, with my wife, I love my wife, but I can't fire her, so I can love her. But now you're telling me to love people that what? I can fire. Well, I have two responses to that. The first is this. Listen to Jesus. Follow the logic. Jesus says, if Jesus can say, love your enemies, then why can't you love your employees? MC Femi in the house, somebody. <laughs> but the truth is, really, if you are meant to love your enemies, how can you not love your employees? But here's the second thing, and this one is just an aside. I just want to help you, all right? Help you. To love your employees doesn't mean you stop loving your business. So love your employees and love your what? Business. Love your employees and what? So that when you find an employee who consistently is hurting your business, despite the number of times you've told them how to, you know, to change, you do everything, you put everything into them, and they still don't change. You know what you do? You lovingly let them go. Out of love. Do you understand? It's very possible. No, we don't fire them. We just lovingly make them go. But truly, the thing is, and I'm not backing back from this, we are meant to love the people who we lead. Whether it is at home, with our children, whether it is in our, in our ministries, whether it is anywhere in our businesses, we are called to love the people that we live. And it isn't this humanizing form of leadership is not only right. Can I tell you something? It produces results. One of the things we've seen over, over a period of time, uh, business schools are catching up with this. Leadership, secular leadership theory is catching up with this. I remember one of the best books I read last year, last year when I was actually doing all those quotes on Facebook too. It was a book called uh, Good Authority. The guy's not a Christian, Jonathan Raymond. And the guy says, unashamedly, I love the people that I work with. And he was talking about revolution, leadership, and HR, and all of those kinds of things. That how can you not love them? And so if secular people are saying what has been laid down for us 2,000 years ago, is it not going to be a shame if the dogs that feed on crumbs get more satisfied than the children that have the bread itself? Paul says he loved them so much. Verse 8, look at it again. He loved them so much that not only did he share the gospel with them, he said he shared his what? Life with them. So the first step of producing this sort of humanizing form of leadership is this. You have to share your life with people. And it tells us two ways in which you are going to do that. That is, you share your life with them in a way that they see and they're inspired, and they want to emulate you. So two things I want to point out. Through your work ethic and integrity. Work ethic and integrity. Let's start with the first one, work ethic. 
Now, this one, I won't lie. This one is a little bit of therapy outside. Something pisses me off. I can't lie to you. It pisses me off. It is this reputation, even though the reputation is a bit deserved. There are people that feel that working in ministry and working in church is like, is a bit of semi-holiday. Do you understand? It is, it is an ecclesiastical form of working in civil service. Even that one of civil service pisses me off. But I'm not joking. Let me tell you this, and I'm not trying to, please, oh, I'm not trying to hit anybody personally. Oh. I'm not trying to hit anybody. But if you are guilty about it, well, then repent from today. I can't tell you how many offers that I've had since we started City Church. I can't tell you how many offers. People have offered to come and work for us. We pay them who come and work for us whilst they are trying to figure out their next career move. You see, some people are not saying anything because you know you have been guilty of it. It's like, I'm not quite sure what I, I want to do next. So can I just come and spend time in church office? Because after, what do people do? You just pray. You'll think, you know, how is this strategy going to come? Father, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us. You know, I can do all of those. But I always look at them and say, ah, it's not your fault. It's, it's us. It's because the reputation is deserved. That is, it's almost like, what is ministry? We don't have to be thinking about these different things. You come in at, you start work at 9, but you know there is grace, so you can actually come in around 9.45. You know there's lunch. God said that we should take care of our bellies, even though you can't quote the verse that he said that. And so our, our break time is one hour, but we're actually making one hour 45 minutes. And you know I have to go and pick my children. Because Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. Again, how do you, how do you mix it together? So, at the end of the day, I walk three to and a half hours today. But, you know, we're working for the Lord. This is a terrible thing. But I said the reputation is deserved because we are the ones that have allowed that thing to happen. The problem is when listening to Paul. Listen to what Paul said. Surely, remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship, we work night and day. In order not to be a burden to you. I'm talking to people who want to think about going into ministry. You think God has called you. All right, if God has called you, you need to be prepared to work. I'm not going to say this. I just want to say this as an example, not because I want to, I want to put light on myself. Some people, when they think about I remember, I remember somebody I spoke to, and they were talking about sermons, and it's like, is it not Sunday? You know, the inspiration will come. You write something down. The low bar, for me to prepare for a sermon, low bar, low bar in a week, 18 to 19 hours. Loba, sometimes 26 hours combined for one sermon. Like you say, is it not 40 minutes or 45 minutes? Actually, it's not. It's like one hour or something now. They will remind me. And let me tell you, sermon writing is about 20% of what I do. Paul says, work hard. For those who are in ministry, for those who are watching and think you want to enter into ministry, please, can we start to change it? He says, work hard. Now, the reason he says work hard, in fact, in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verse 9 to 10, some people say, hey, as long as you have grace, maybe you are talented here. Let me tell you, your talent can only take you to a particular place. But like everything, what talent you have, you have to work on, even if you are the most gifted person. Not be today, some people carry first class, and they are still, you know, at the bottom of the kingdom. They didn't work hard. They always thought that I, at the end of the day, I can just quickly, you know, just rough it, rough it. Paul says that, 
He had an abundance of grace given to him. In fact, he was more graced than all the apostles. And because of the grace that was given to him, do you know what he did? He relaxed. No, he said, I worked what? Harder than all of them. Why did he do that? Because as a leader, let me tell you, this, you know what we read is 1 Thessalonians. Go to 2 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 9. He says something similar, but he, uh, 7 to 9. But he says, this, he says the reason why. For you yourselves ought to know, you yourselves know how ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day laboring and told him so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this. Why? Here's the creature. Not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves what? As a model for you to imitate. Let me tell you, if you want to be a kind of leader that produces results, let your employees see that you work harder than them. When they see that you are actually working hard, they will know that they don't have any excuse to actually flinch, to actually sky. But when you are the first in and you are the last out, let me tell you, if you are the first in and the last out, your employees come in five minutes before you and they go five minutes after you. But when they see that you work hard, the reason why I have to work hard is so that it's not just with mouth that I'm telling my employees that when we're in ministry, we work hard. It's so that they can see if he's doing it, we have no excuse. And they can then work out or live out the potential of what God has given to them and they'll produce results. Amen. The second one is integrity. Notice what Paul says. He says, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, this verse 10, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. Righteous and holy, who are the witnesses? Them and who? God. In other words, God in private and them in public. Paul is saying that his life, his moral life, was integrated. In public, was integrated in public. What was seen in public was also what you see in private. It was integrated. That's where we get the word, what? Integrity from. Before, we used to just think that pragmatics, just be competent. That's the only thing that's needed in leadership. Let me tell you. Being moral, being, having, be, having integrity is sort of back in fashion. I remember one guy that told me something, one leader that said, he, you know, he and uh, his partner, they went to a particular country. As they entered into the country, the partner had already made certain arrangements for them, you know, because sometimes when you travel like this, it's really hard. It's very difficult. You have this work to do. So you need something to help you. So as they got to the hotel, there were girls that were being sent, you know, to just help them because of the jet lag and everything. All right? And so when he found out, ah, that his friend that organized the ladies for the, for the, for the fun, right? He, <laughs> he said, he said he's not going, he said he's not going again. And that friend was like, ah, hey, both of, uh, you are married, I'm married. This is not, you know, whatever happens in Amsterdam stays in Amsterdam. It's not, it's not going to count in Lagos. You know, what, what's wrong with you? And the guy said, ah, no, no, you know, as a Christian, he can't do it. The guy looked at him. He said, are you gay? In my mind, it's more like you are gay. <laughs> if you have seen that clip. The guy may have been somebody in church, and maybe people look to him in church and he does all of those things. 
in public. Now he has gone to another country. Nobody will find out. And so that friend, was, he was perplexed. What kind of alien is this? And some people look at you in the way you live your life and they say, you are an alien. And much more, can your employees, your staff, those under you in ministry, your children, can they say, this person is an alien? Let me tell you the reason why a lot of children, most children that eventually born in Christian homes, do you know why they don't follow Christ again? You know why they don't follow Christ again? Because they see that their parents are hypocrites. Their lives are not integrated. They, they are this in church, deacon this, elder that, but inside they know what they do. They don't want to emulate you. Are you em- can they emulate you? Reminds me of another, um, this story really moved me. It was a, a, another leader of, of our organization, a, a lady. Something happened. She, she, she's in a business where she, they, are, they are contractors to certain big organizations. And part of what their business does is that it requires taking certain readings for, for the organization. And if the reading is bad, it means something. If the reading is good, it means something. So on one fateful day, one of her staff members didn't take the right... Um, uh, reading and it seemed to look positive and so she recorded it as positive but when they took the second one through some kind of fault of the of the whatever the thing came out sort of negative so the point was this should we let them know now you should but if they allow them to know then it will be reported that you made a mistake but if they didn't allow them to know what if it was truly negative so the staff let the woman know, but the staff were of the opinion, Madam, some of this thing is even the people's fault. And if we let them know, then they show our incompetence. And this is one of their biggest contractors. Like one of their, and when I say big, I'm not talking about seven or eight zeros. You understand what I mean? It's massive. So this lady was now faced with one option. Honestly, I see at this point you start hearing voices. <laughs> and the voices is not, is not, should you do it, should you not do it? That's not what it is. The voice is children's school fees. You understand? Holiday that you have booked. All of those kind of things. Eventually, after tossing, 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 you know what she did? She called the contractor. She told him, this is exactly what had happened, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, the contractor was not happy. Not happy at all. But he didn't stop the contract. In fact, six months later, after I spoke to her, they had increased the the contract that they gave them. Now, for some people, they're going to actually cut it. Here's the point. The triumph of this story is not that that the contract was not what taken away or that was increased. The triumph of the story was that the woman did not break in the midst of adversity. She did not break her principles. Because one, it is, yes, she is a Christian before God. But listen, guess who was watching her? The staff. The same staff that are saying, Madam, let us just cover this thing. There's nothing there. We can give offering to the Lord after we can make a tithe over it. The same staff. But those same staff, what they are not saying is this. Madam, that preaches about this, in this, in this office, with all our values, our integrity. We don't cut corners. We don't, they say, eh, Madam, we don't cut corners when nothing is at stake. That's what we understand. When everything is going well, it's easy not to be, it's easy not to cut corners. But she was thinking, she, said, she, she told me, she said, she was thinking, if I did this thing, 
what would that say to those people? She would have sown a seed that she would re- look at some point when somebody has gone to do something that is wrong and she wants to fire. Say, Madam, ah, but she'll be the other time. What are we talking about? Well, we too, we all believe in Jesus. So. We just weren't the ones that crucified him. Is your life integrated? Let me tell you another thing that could have happened. Some of those people will go back home that day and say, man, this woman is the real deal. Lord, thank you for giving me such a leader like this. This woman practices what she says. This woman's life in public and this woman's life in private, they are the same thing. This woman is somebody that is worth following. When people start to abuse the woman on social media, her staff people will come say, hey, shut up. I know this woman inside. May God make us those kind of leaders. May God make us people whose lives are totally integrated. Not just because it's the right thing to do, but you know that there is a generation of people that are coming outside of you, after you, they are looking to you to, to say, is this the way to lead? Is this thing still possible? And so if that was the life that Paul shared with them, our second point talks about what he did. And that's the second point, what the leader does. But before we go into that, I do want to say something. And, and if you are new here, please forgive, forgive uh, this. Something has been happening in this church that has bugged me for a while. And I just thought, how, how do we solve this thing? I'm not quite sure. I didn't know where the problem was. But actually, I do know now. And this what I'm talking about is the amount of disrespect I get in this church. <laughs> Seriously. Now, it's been going on. I've said it a few times. It's been going on. I couldn't understand. I felt, God, I've prayed for them. God, I've counseled. I'm trying my best in preaching. I'm just not getting. Why is it not reciprocating? And I figured it out. I figured it out. Let me tell you how it works. Well, welcome to, um, we're now going into the section for the word. Olabisi is going to, Olabisi Williams is going to, assist Olabisi Williams is going to read for us. And then, our lead pastor, Femi Oshin, is going to preach for us. That's the problem. <laughs> lead pastor. When, you, when a title is just two words, how can they respect you? Are you following what I'm saying? That, that is, we all know in, in life, in society, that our authority is measured by the length of our titles. You don't try somebody who has an extended title. Let me give you an example. Look at this man. Look at the picture of this man here. The picture of this man. Look at the picture of this man. Nobody, nobody tried him. Nobody tried him when he was ruling. Do you know why? Do you know why no one tried him? Because he is his excellency. President for life. Field marshal. Al-Haji doctor Idi Amin Dada. VC. Eh? DSO. MC. CBE, yeah, the favorite part. Lord of all the beasts of the earth and the fishes of the seas. The conqueror of the British Empire in Africa in general and in Uganda in particular. And one more, Jara, and the uncrowned king of... So in a bit to solve the problem that we have here, imagine if the worship coordinator that introduced the man of God, 
as he's humbly standing, went something like this. Today's Bible reading will be taken by our sister, Olavisi Williams, and the sermon, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, will be delivered by his enlightenedness, lead pastor for life, God's general, Oluaba, Supreme Doctor, Femi Oshunui, PSLC, SSCE, BSC, PPC, conqueror of all the principalities and powers in Africa in general, and the incubus and succubus in particular. Give it up for the man of God! All the glory belongs to the Lord. After that kind of time, who born you to talk to me anyhow? That's the kind of title that will, will cool down every liquid metal. But you see, hilarious as that is, it actually points to a bigger issue. And it's a two-step problem. Here is it. We exclusively associate titles with authority, and then we exclusively associate authority with leadership. We exclusively associate titles with authority, and thereafter we associate authority with what? Leadership. So, when we talk about leadership, what essentially happens is that people are looking for what they can attain to, not what they do. They are looking for the title that they can get, not necessarily the thing that they are meant to do with the leadership. Don't get me wrong, go. Authority is important. In fact, you don't really have leadership without any kind of authority. I'm telling you straight. But the problem is when you look at leadership only through the lens of what we call positional authority, authority that comes with the title. This is why the bad politicians, not all politicians are bad. The bad politicians, right? Some of the bad politicians, you know what their number one leadership gift is? Campaigning. So that by the time they have campaigned and they have won and they entered into office, like, hey, what are we going to do now? They, they, don't, they, don't, they have no clue on what they're going to do because all their leadership was in trying to win. So they get a few people to help them do something. They pray that two years comes and they start campaigning for the next term because for them, leadership was all about what they were chasing, what they could attain to, not what they did. But positional authority is not the only kind of authority. There is something called functional authority. That is leadership that is expressed through what we do. And Paul is saying that that functional authority is the one that they use to produce results among them. In fact, in verse 6, he says, though we have a title, apostles of Christ, we did not accept that title. Instead, what we did was we became more human among you. He's saying that if you invest, or let me put it in another way because we like sowing and reaping. If you sow functional human authority, you would reap unrelenting human loyalty. Because let me tell you the truth. You want to be a leader that produces results, particularly when we're talking about this humane leadership. I'm not saying there are no other kinds of leadership that are important, but this one they are talking about. You want to be a leader, a leader that produces results, Right? If you use human functional authority, it will buy you a currency that every leader needs. What is that currency? It's called loyalty. 
If you can get loyalty from the people that follow you, sadly, sadly, you can wreak havoc anywhere you want. People that you see, quote-unquote, in cults, is because they have certain kinds of loyalty, diabolical loyalty, but nonetheless, they can do and produce results. Paul is saying there's another way we can get people to follow us and have loyalty towards us. It means when we sow in what we can call human functional authority. And that's why when he tries to describe this human authority, he uses metaphors, three metaphors, from the most intense human relationship. Paul says, you want to produce results? He says, be a child, be a mother, be a father. Let's take each of them. Paul says in verse 6, He says, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority, instead we were what? Like young children among you. Young children among you. He says, listen, in some ways leadership by definition means that you are not exactly like the people that you are following, that are following you. You are not exactly. There are certain things that you do that they are not going to do. So there is a certain distance that is there. Paul is saying, even though that distance is there, I, at some point, I did not allow myself to be a distant, um, a distant um, a, a, a authoritative apostle. I decided to be like children among you. The key there is the among you. Paul is saying we close that distance. And the reason why he closes the distance is so that he can understand them and show that he values them. For those of us who watch sports, do you know one phrase that often comes, if you are watching the media, before a coach is fired? When they are not producing results. When they are not producing results. Do you know what they say? They say he has lost the dressing room. And the players, after they say he has lost the dressing room, they now say something. The players no longer play for him. He is the worst thing that they can take to you as a leader. Worst thing anyone can say to you as a leader, that she, he or she has lost touch. They don't understand the game. Why? Because sometimes the way leadership is designed is to keep us further and further and further away from the people. Don't get me wrong again. I'm not saying that we must all do open plan office. I don't operate open plan office. I don't even understand it. Right? But you must have touch points with your people. You must try to be among them. You must try to listen to them, connect with them, learn from them. Because if you do so, let me tell you what will happen. First of all, they will see that you value them. That you value their existence. So will say, eh? So this person knew that I was there. They actually know my name. So just that sense of that you value them is the first thing. Second thing is this. You will genuinely learn. Sometimes we conclude what we think issues are. We go and tell somebody, guess what? Even though you've been living in your body for all these years, may I know what your problem is, even though I've never spoken to you. Many times we create solutions that have nothing to do with the plight of the people. And so you wonder why the results are not coming. Why you have lost touch. But if you can empathize as a leader, that is, you enter into the shoes of the people occasionally here and there. Let me tell you, not only would they see, but after they've seen that you value them and you start understanding what they're going through, it will now help you to know what to do. I'll come to those in the next two. What to do. And by the time you start doing that, listen, very, very quickly, they will start to play for you. I pray that those who you lead will start to play for you as you connect to them. The second thing is, Paul says that it was like a nursing mother. 
Verse 7 again. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. See, very funny thing. Like, ah, Paul, the child that can understand, but you're not like a woman. All these funny stuff. No, the point is what a nursing mother does. A nursing mother has a 24-hour-7 job. 24-hour-7 job. What is it? To care for the child that she's nursing. Man, man, cry. You go and breastfeed. Man, man, go and change nappy. Man, man, I want to go and sleep. <laughs> you, you understand? They are both. I know. Uh, see, the sounds are not always that different. I'm telling you. I have been a father of two. I've been a father of two. I'm like, is it? Is it goat outside or is it? We are not even sure. Ah, let's just tell the truth. So the point is about caring. Now, when they are caring and attending to the child, don't mistake it. Something more profound is happening. It's not just that they're just giving that child care. What they are doing is that they are providing a caring environment for the child in order for that child to be productive. You see, when they hug the child, when they put the child on the back, when they stop the child from going to all of those places, what, and they bring toys, all of these things, put all of those things, they are showing care and creating a caring environment in order for that child to be able to be productive. When you learn to empathize with your people as a child, then you know what kind of care to provide for them that brings loyalty. You see, sometimes in business or, or ministry or whatever, we just think by paying people, by paying people, that, that, that is what is going to make them produce for us. But it depends how you're structuring the pay. If you are giving almost all the pay to them, just a salary, you are not providing health insurance, what do you think is going to happen? If you have domestic staff working for you, and all really, really the way you have already envisioned in your mind is that this, this domestic staff will be here until your children graduate and go to university. No plan for them whatsoever. Nothing. You don't even think they can have any ambition. No training. How do you think they will be loyal towards you? There is a principle we have in Nigeria. It's a principle that always works, that makes people loyal to you. Because if they feel that you, if they feel that you are um, enjoying and they are suffering, they won't follow you. So follow this principle. Follow this principle. It's four words. It's taught in the Bible, but we've actually um, uh, summarized it in Nigerian society. It's called this. Oga chop, I chop. Do you, do you know it? Oga what? Chop. Then what? I chop. Because if Oga is chopping and you are not, they are not chopping, ah, it's a problem. Do you understand? They, exactly, they may chop Oga. Literally, people will find, they will not be productive for you, but they will find ways of being productive for themselves. I worked in a place where the MD sort of, at some point, just ran away. Sort of just ran away. It wasn't, it was working in some other places. And the people were not paid. For some of the people were not paid six to eight months. We now find out that the main sales guy, right? The main sales guy has been selling, but he had registered a new company name. You can't blame him. When the Oga was chopping all around the world, he was down here. So Oga chopped, I didn't chop. So he went and started chopping for himself. 
If we create caring environments for our people, if your people genuinely know that you love them because of the fact that you are looking out for them, in some ways, as much as you can, you are looking out for their families. In some ways, you are looking out for their careers. You are not just getting them to work, 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 work. If they know that you care for them, let me tell you something, they will be loyal towards you. And they will produce for you. It doesn't mean that they will always stay with you. Please, let's not have that kind of mafiosi, uh, mafioso loyalty. But even when they want to leave, they will be conflicted. They will be conflicted. That's why people have said this. People do not quit jobs, they quit bosses. There are certain kinds of bosses that they have offered you, I know someone, she came to meet me about, she was offered almost twice what she's earning. We sat down and looked at her, I said, this other company, what do you know, blah, blah. But this is your boss. This is your boss that has taken you through, that has championed you, that has, in this organization, are you sure she went back, thought about it, she rejected the offer? Loyalty. Because she knows that person cares for her. May the Lord make us bosses that care. You will see that people will produce results for you. Now, but the third one is this. Fathers. Look at verse uh, uh, 11. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. And in what way is he talking about? He says, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. If we read Paul's, about Paul's ministry in Thessalonica in the book of Acts, I think verse 17, you will see that it was very difficult. Very difficult. They chased him out of the city. He went to Berea. They even went and chased him in Berea again. So you can imagine how difficult it was to live as a Christian in Thessalonica. It was difficult. And let me tell you something. Sometimes people, when people are, the people that you work for, even when you've empathized with them and you've cared for them and all of that, they still go through difficult times. People go through difficult times. It's not every time because they're lazy. That's not why they're productive. Sometimes they're just going through difficult things. Someone came to my office a couple of weeks ago and just said, Pastor, a, a staff member, I said, Pastor, I have lost direction. He was so discouraged. He said, I think I'm entering into depression because this is not where I thought my life would be at that point. Guess what I did after? I showed him his contract. Okay, please don't start bringing us. Make sure, are you going to be at work on Wednesday? <laughs> because we are paying you. you. You know that. If you're having problems in your head, take Panadol. Take Panadol. <laughs> In fact, take Panadol extra. Just make sure I go to you. Do you understand? <laughs> Let me tell you, for those of you who want to be CEOs, yes, chief executive officer, but also a CEO should be a chief encouragement officer. There are times when your expertise is not what is looked out for. There's a time when it is your inspirational words that are looked out for. There are times when it's not just about rebuking and directing. There are times when it is about lifting people up that is required. Your ability to inspire is an absolute, a, a critical leadership tool. That's why Paul says here, he says, I was encouraging. Some people have lost belief in themselves. And you'll be like, ah, if, I've lost, if you have lost belief in yourself, me, I can't believe in you. Oh, yeah, it's time to go. But no, they were just down on their luck. And they just needed somebody to tell them very simply, I believe in you. And some of you say, it sounds cheesy. See, the reason why things are cheesy is because they work for so many people. You want to hear a secret about me? Can I be vulnerable? Can I be vulnerable? Sometimes I click on, I go on YouTube, I look for some of these uh, movies where they have inspirational something. I look, 
I go to Rocky, I just check, you know. Just, you know, just a little bit. Some days, just like, when, hey, 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 what's her name? Hey, not Avery, um, Rocky's wife. When she said, when she said, hey, oh, no, 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 that was bad. That was bad. <laughs> it, was, it was the other way. It was the other way. She told him, said, you can't win. Ah, I said, yeah, I will prove to you I can win. You know that kind of thing. But sometimes we just need, we need somebody to pick us back up. Listen, leaders, listen to me. You will be amazed what those three words, four words can do to, to some of the people. Just look at them and say, I believe in you. Because sometimes some people, they tried some things, the way they had read, the way they had tried, it just didn't produce results. And they are thinking like, you have high expectations for them. They have family members that have high expectations. They have drawn up the plan. The whole thing was not working. And so what happens, and this is the worst thing that can happen to a person, when you start to not believe in yourself. And what you need at that point is like the people that brought uh, uh, the, the, the paralytic whose friends brought him to Jesus. Even though you do not have faith, we have faith for you. As a leader, sometimes you have to tell people, I believe in you. And maybe I can take this liberty as your pastor to say, some of you have come in here and you stop believing in yourself. Can I tell you this? I believe in you. Maybe that thing, that business, the way you thought about it was not, it hasn't rolled out in the way you thought about it. Don't give up. I believe in you. Maybe that child is turning out not the way you thought because you put in this, you prayed, you did everything and now you want to give it up. Don't stop, I believe in you. Can I say as leaders, let me tell you something. Isaiah, at one point, when his ministry turned in the 40th chapter, 40, Isaiah 40 to 55, most of what we know about Isaiah, the, the, the passages we quote are from Isaiah 40 to 55. After he has, for 39 chapters, talked about the sin of Israel and how they were going to exile and all of those things. How does Isaiah chapter 40 verse 14 start? He says this, you are not just a prophet to tell the people that they have sinned. He says what? Two times, comfort, comfort ye my people. And I pray for some of us leaders here that your mouth will not just be used. In fact, you know what? If you're a leader here and you need this encouragement, I want to prophetically pray over you now. Put your hand on your mouth. May the amounts that you have put your hands on, they will not just be used to direct and to rebuke, but they will be used to inspire. I pray that where people that you are directing, those people that you are being critical of, that some point when they see you, that what you will say out of your mouth will bring life back to them. Comfort my people. Paul says, I gave them courage. They lost courage, so I encouraged them. Encourage. I, they, 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 they stopped believing themselves or they went through some kind of suffering. And so I comforted them. They lost a sense of urgency. And so I urged them. You are meant to use your mouth to encourage people as a father. If you are this kind of human leader, where you empathize with your people, where you care for your people, where you inspire your people, can I tell you that the loyalty that you will reap from them is like you will never have expected before. Paul is saying, the way I led in this way, that's what produced results. Can I challenge some of us here? Maybe you have not been leading this way. There's still time. There's still time. When is the right time? Now. There's nothing we can do about the past. Let us incinerate the past in the dustbin of history. But you can start again. Amen? That takes me to a final point, though. What, who the leader represents. I know sometimes these words, they come as a... 
it can be defeated because you think, okay, yeah, yeah, I hear all of this, but it's hard, though. It's hard. Maybe you're telling me to focus on the results, huh? focus on the possible results, but even now that I'm trying to focus on the possible results, I'm not sure I can. I'm not sure I can. Have you ever felt like you know the solution for something and yet you know that you cannot do it? And so you say, I can't focus on the result, but yet I need these results in my leadership. So how can I do this whole humane thing? I'm not a very social person. How can I do this humane leadership without burning out? I said to you, you are correct. It's hard. It is hard. It's easier to just stay behind the computer and just send emails. You're also correct. Focusing on the results as a way to just change is not going to be enough. Because what you are doing is that you are focusing on what you want. But in order to change this, you shouldn't just focus on what you want. You need to focus on who you are. And do you know who you are? You are a shaliak. Turn to your neighbor and say, say what? <laughs> Turn to your other neighbor and say, Kilun Jebe. When I said it, so people, I saw Moses, Moses like going here, you are a, and then I said, Shaliak, he said, huh? Shaliak. What's that? You see, in Jewish law, in Jewish law, a Shaliak represented a Sholiak. A Shaliak was the one that was sent, and a Sholiak was the one who was sending. And you would have heard in the Hebrew that they sound alike. And they sound alike because they are meant to function alike. You see, the Sholiak sends the Shaliak on his own authority. In fact, in legal terms, the Shaliak quote of a person is as the person himself. So you see, in Genesis 24, when Abraham wanted to find a wife for Isaac, he sent his own servant. And he said, don't go to all the nations around, but go to my own world, people, and find a wife for my son Isaac. Whoever the servant chose as Isaac's wife was going to be as though Abraham chose the wife. Do you understand? Because he was the shaliak, which then means that the person, the shaliak, should represent the Sholiak very well. They should behave as though, the, as the, in the way that the Sholiak would also behave. Because why? They are not there on their own. They are standing on their authority. Do you understand? And so wherever you see a Sholiak, the next question you should ask is, of who? Of who? Who is he representing? Who is she representing? Now let me take it a bit further. The Greek word that translates the concept of Sholiak, you know what it is? It's called apostolos, from which we get the word apostle. So Paul is an apostle. Remember the question we are meant to ask. He is an apostle or a sheliak. So we should ask the question, apostle of what? Of who? And you go back to verse 8. And he says, we as apostles of what? Christ. Paul is a sheliak for Christ. That is, Paul was sent by Christ. And so he was standing not on his own authority, but on the authority of Christ. And therefore, if he was representing Christ, he had to behave like Christ. Are you following what I'm saying? When Paul was leading, 
among the people, he was leading in the way that Jesus Christ was also going to lead. Can I say to you that you are also chariots? And so when we are calling you to this kind of leadership, it's not just to say, well, you know, well, let's just do it because it's good. No, you are meant to do it because you are representing one that is greater than you. And whenever you think it's very hard, I cannot do it on my own. Rather than focus on the results, fix your eyes upon Jesus Christ. And you say, how are we representing Jesus in this way? How did he lead in this way? Have you considered how he saved you? Have you considered how we turned your life around? How did Jesus save us? Well, first of all, like a child. Hebrews 2 verse 17 says, He had to be made human like them. He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest and that he may make what? Atonement for his sins of his people. Jesus did not stay in heaven to, to, to assert his authority. What did he do to the people who was coming to say? He came and he dwelled among us. Amen. They said, but how about this mother one? I don't understand how Jesus can be a mother. Well, one time Jesus went to the city of Jerusalem who had rejected him. And he told them, he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who, who killed the prophets and stoned those who are sent among you. How I would have what? Wanted to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you would not. But by the grace of God, you will. He said he wanted to be like a mother hen that put his people under the cheeks. That is, he cared for them. And Jesus cared for us eternally by creating an, 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 an atmosphere for us that will make us succeed in all eternity. This is why the prophet says this, Unto you who fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Under his wings are the healing for all our eternal miserable conditions. Jesus is that leader. That came as a man, that came to be with his people, empathized with us, and he came as a mother to care for us. And finally, as he came in Hebrews 2, also verse 18, he's the leader that can inspire and help us. He says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. In Isaiah 50, verse 4, about the Messiah, he says that God had given him a tongue. A well-taught tongue so that he's able to speak a word to the weary. How did Jesus save you? Jesus was the, became the ultimate human being so that he could show human beings what it means to be human and to save them to become more human. That is the gospel. And so now he says, go likewise and do the same. And he says, if it's hard, what do you do? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher. Of our faith. Is it hard? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Do you feel that you are not without strength? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. City Church, if we lead in this way, I promise you, I promise you, you will see that you will be a leader who will not be without results. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.